This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, it's Saturday. It's a show, not just a show, the gist, and not just a gist. The Saturday Show, one of the best from the week and the best from the vaults. From the week, we go on Monday. Perhaps you didn't realize there was a show on Monday. It came nestled in between a non-show and a holiday. That was July 3rd. I am going to brag that I commit the best act of journalism about the phosphogypsum issue that has been committed in America thus far. It's media criticism plus pavement analysis, phosphogypsum, Ron DeSantis, cancer radioactivity, the news, and you. And then, because affirmative action has been in the news, I was thinking about past segments I did about affirmative action. I haven't done so many, but I did one about quotas. We were going through one of those paroxysms of regret, in this case, because women hadn't been nominated for the Academy Award for Best Director. So if you can cast your mind back to that time, Greta Gerwig, I think probably unfairly, snubbed for not Barbie, her latest magnum opus, but for Little Women. So I talk about, you know, if we keep going round and round the bend and trying to come up with these elaborate solutions to address the idea that there aren't enough underrepresented minorities in gifted programs or selective schools, or there aren't enough women or people of color in Academy Award nominations. We keep trying to figure out these ways to have more women, more underrepresented minorities in these institutions. Why not just mandate that we have more underrepresented minorities in these institutions. It's because the word quota is anathema, but the lack of quotas or the lack of the results of a quota, I found, at least in 2020, was much more anathema than that. anathema if you will. Uh, when you listen to this, no, it doesn't directly comment on the latest Supreme Court case. Quotas were deemed an unacceptable remedy for the lack of diversity or perceived lack of diversity in higher education. So in a way, the schools were forced to achieve a goal without direct quotas. But places like the Academy Awards are not beholden to such strictures. Anyway, I don't know if I think exactly the same way I do as in 2020, but I think that if I had heard it, I'd have said, huh, that's an interesting provocation, which is in a way all I'm going for here on The Gist. So that was from January 13th, 2020. And the earlier phosphogypsum segment was from July 3rd, 2023. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And now the spiel. 
A friend of mine forwarded along a headline from CBS News. Florida bill allowing radioactive roads made of potentially cancer-causing mining waste signed by DeSantis. Seems fair, LOL, he wrote. Now, you should know that my friend is not only a huge DeSantis fan, he's a giant investor in the gypsum industry. He's actually called the Gypsum King of Sandusky, Ohio. His license plate is CASO42H2O. Obviously, the chemical composition of gypsum. This causes this long extended license plate, which he had to spend extra for, causes one in 300,000 passing motorists to give them the thumbs up because they must all work in coke smelters. Okay, none of that's true, including the headline. But how untrue is it? It would be kind of satisfying if Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, was out there paving cancer highways, perhaps cackling as he did it. But you can't say that is happening if it's not And, you know, it would also be satisfying from a fact-checking perspective if the headline was 180 degrees opposite of the truth. But it's a complex topic that the headline plays fast and loose with, which one would hope isn't the standard applies to the actual use of phosphogypsum. So to start things off, here's how CBS reported the story on air. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has signed a bill which allows roads in the state to be made with radioactive mining waste. The measure adds phosphogypsum to the list of materials state officials say can be used to build roads. The EPA says the substance is potentially linked to cancer and describes it as radioactive. So that, what you heard there, that is incorrect. The bill does not allow roads to be built using phosphogypsum. It is a preliminary measure to determine the feasibility of phosphogypsum as a paving material. Wait, could it really be a paving material or is it just cancer-causing radioactivity? Well, let's find out. Phosphogypsum, let's get some. If you go investigating phosphogypsum, you come across a spate of articles from the last three years about the EPA under Trump, which tried to allow it as a building material, and also recently the state of Florida looking into doing just that. There are a billion tons of phosphogypsum, and they're currently piled in 25 gigantic stacks throughout the state of Florida. Florida leads the nation in guys in flip-flops and wraparound shades getting chased by alligators as they attempt to patronize topless drive through donut shops, but also, less delightfully, in phosphorus and phosphoric acid. Phosphorus is a necessary fertilizer for plants and living things. Florida supplies much of it to the world. You might use it in your garden, all good, but actually some bad. In making phosphoric acid to use as fertilizer, a byproduct is created, phosphogypsum. In fact, five times as much byproduct results as product, which is why there are all these phosphogypsum piles across the state called gypsum stacks. How dangerous is phosphogypsum? I would not want to lick it. It does have trace elements of radon, which is a naturally occurring carcinogen. Doesn't make it less carcinogenic. It's quite deadly in large amounts. So you would think, all right, we got to do everything we can to keep it out of the water supply, the air, everything, right? That's what TV station WESH Channel 2 Orlando was getting at when they reported. Governor Ron DeSantis is paving the way for some controversial research on roads involving radioactive material. I like the paving reference, and it is more fair than cancer radioactive and saying it's already allowed, as CBS did. But consider this. So many things have low levels of radiation. You do. Bricks do. A transcontinental flight really exposes you to quite a bit, relatively speaking, quite a bit of radiation. There are lots of studies about treating phosphogypsum to make it safer, dare I even say safe. 
I've been reading many studies and journals that I did not know existed, but that I've signed up for. I'm now a member of the German Gypsum Association, or GIPS. Maybe GIPS. I don't know where they get the I. It's all in German. That is a trade group. Sure, I don't take everything they say on faith, but it's a fun little trade group. I get a newsletter from the American Association called, you ready? Gypsumation. It's all your gypsum news in one place. The Gypsumation newsletter features gypsumptuous pros. It had me gypsumersalting. And then there's the journal Waste and Biomass Valorization. There I found such researchers as Wiesla Streck of the Institute of Low Temperature and Structural Research and Kazimir Grabes of Poltegor Institute of Open Cast Mining to Polish scholars. I read a few Chinese studies, not in Chinese, in English. And then there was this, refinement of waste phosphogypsum from Pravo, Serbia, characterization and assessment of application in civil engineering, where they conclude recrystallized gypsum does not present a radiation hazard when used as a building material, while raw phosphogypsum meets the requirements only for road construction materials, which is what they're talking about in Florida. This collection of scholarship from lands normally known for giving us contenders in strongman competitions doesn't settle all the questions, but it certainly suggests that Cancer Ron is erecting highways to hell. Might be a little bit overblown. The use of phosphogypsum in road paving materials all over the world exists now. It's in India, it's in China, it's in Europe. The International Atomic Energy Agency says, quote, all evidence suggests that the doses received as a result of the use of phosphogypsum in agriculture road construction marine application and landfill were sufficiently low that no restrictions on such uses are necessary. My problem isn't so much the worth of phosphogypsum, phosphogypsum boon or bane. I'm still quite skeptical just based on those few studies I read to say, all right, let's start paving the roads left and right. What I'm most concerned about is the nature of expressing all this and explaining all this to the public. I am not taking industry assurances on faith, but likewise, this framing, the second sentence of WESH's coverage, is vague. It allows the Florida Department of Transportation to study road construction using a material that many people say could increase people's risk for cancer. Many people. But who are the people? If they are top experts and scientists, that's one thing. But here's who WESH quotes. So phosphogypsum is a byproduct of the fertilizer production process. Synthetic fertilizers are made with phosphate rock, which is dug up from under the ground here in Florida. Elise Bennett is an attorney with the Center for Biological Diversity, which advocated against the law. Elise Bennett is an environmental advocate in opposition to the use of phosphogypsum in roads. It doesn't mean she's wrong. It just means she's an advocate on one side of the issue. Is she a scientist? She is not. I looked up her history. She's a lawyer who studied environmental law and has worked professionally with the Center for Biodiversity, I think her entire career, including this stint from 2016 to 2020 as reptile and amphibian staff attorney at the Center for Biodiversity. Your Honor, of course my client acted in cold blood. He is a reptile. I don't begrudge her of her activism, any of her opinions. I don't even disbelieve her, nor do I disbelieve the CBS account, which quotes the same Elise Bennett. There are two other experts quoted. One is, like Elise Bennett, also a lawyer for the Center for Biological Diversity. And then there's Rachel Curran, a lawyer for the People for Protecting Peace River. The article, the CBS article by Lee Cohen, whose Twitter bio reads, journalists focusing on the climate crisis and social justice, does not quote one scientist or even 
dedicate one sentence to telling the audience anything that I've told you about phosphogypsum's use in the rest of the world or the possibility of using it safely. The first sentence puts radioactive in scare quotes because of course it's scary, but I don't even understand that choice. It seems that phosphogypsum does emit trace amounts of radiation. The question is how much and can it be treated to produce less? You know what the Serbs say about that. But really, the headline, Florida bill allowing radioactive roads made of potentially cancer-causing mining waste signed by DeSantis. Why not just let the activist opponents write this article? Come on. The words radioactive and cancer are each in their own way shorthand for catastrophe. When you put two words as charged as radioactive and cancer in a single headline, it's like the third rail of nuclear options. Of course, if they hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been inspired to research this topic so thoroughly, to bring you the insight from Polish, Serb, and perhaps one or two ethnically Croat researchers. I wouldn't have signed up for my favorite new newsletter, Gypsum Stacks over Substacks, my friends. And I wouldn't be able to delight you with this bright burning tale of phosphorus on the 4th of July holiday weekend, extended. As Ron DeSantis clearly implies, you are welcome, America. And now the spiel. The Oscar nominations were announced today, and like every year for the last, I think, six, the celebration of the glories of cinema became a grump fest about the paucity of female or minority nominees. Here was ceremony host Issa Rae after the Best Director nominations were announced. Congratulations to those men. Hustlers Lorene Scafaria snubbed. The Farewells Lulu Wang snubbed. Greta Gerwig snubbed. Snubbing little women, it's just what the Oscars do. In 2015 and 2016, the Oscars were labeled as so white. Hashtag Oscars so white. That was a protest over the lack of minority acting nominees. In 2018, Greta Gerwig was once again left off the best director list, causing Natalie Portman to say, And here are the all-male nominees. <laughs> and last year, there was no shockingly blatant racial or gender-specific snub, but just in case the Oscars were thinking of being something less than a total bummer, Kevin Hart was announced as host, then withdrew after scrutiny of his past homophobic jokes. Jokes, that word being in quotes, jokes. Maybe it's possible that on artistic merits, Little Women wasn't as well-directed a film as The Irishman or 1917 or the other three movies that were nominated. I don't know. What does that even mean? You know, Greta Gerwig was pointing a camera and working with actors and eliciting performances. Scorsese was doing that, but then distorting some of their facial characteristics with de-aging technology. Sam Mendes was achieving some sort of technological miracle to make World War I appear as if it all happened in one take. I mean, these seem to be generally different things. Gerwig's partner, romantic partner Noah Baumbach, was also left off the best director list for Marriage Story. That's a movie that's a lot like Little Women. Great acting, insight into the human condition, but mostly people talking in rooms. The Oscars these days seem not to define great directing as people mostly talking in rooms. Of course, the Oscars are subjective, and they aren't life or death. They aren't Australian wildfires or the Kud's Force or even educating our children. So let's talk about something that is more like educating our children educating our children, specifically New York City children, although the issue I'm going to talk about is playing out throughout the country. Black and Latino children, 
school children are losing out on the advanced opportunities of selective high schools and magnet programs. I say black and Latino and not students of color because Asians are greatly overperforming. In fact, in New York City, Asian students make up 15% of the overall student population, but account for 40% of the slots in the city's so-called gifted and talented programs. Whites make up the same proportion of overall students, about 15%. They take up about 33% of the seats in that program. This means that African-Americans and Hispanic students which are most of the students in New York City represent a small minority of students in gifted and talented classes. This is a problem. But you might not believe what one solution, one prominent solution is. It's to end all gifted and talented classes. While the classes certainly benefit the students involved, are really sought after by parents, the problem is that black and Latino students are underrepresented. And black and Latino moms and dads would love to get their students into the classes, But they can't. So a task force assembled by New York Mayor Bill de Blasio recommended, let's get rid of all the gifted and talented classes. Now, I was thinking, well, if the problem is there aren't enough black and Latino kids in these classes, why not get more black and Latino kids in these classes? And let's not do it through complicated end arounds like thinking about the wealth of the neighborhood a kid is from or the average elementary school lunch program, the average number of kids on paid lunch. They, people come up with these complex proxies for poorness or blackness or Hispanic heritage, and they've been proposed as a solution for the selective high school problems. But I have another solution. Just have a quota. This is also my way to address that Oscars underrepresentation problem we were talking about. Have a quota. If women or minorities are underrepresented, make sure they're represented. In schooling, it would work like this. You take whatever minority's level of representation is in the overall population, and you make sure in whatever you're selecting for has at least two-thirds that percent of representation. So when we're talking about gifted and talented programs, they actually test four-year-olds to get into these programs. We're talking about all the kids in all the schools. So the schools are 25% African-American in New York City, which means that your gifted and talented program would have to have 17% black kids. And in New York City, 40% of students are Hispanic, which means that 27% or so of the gifted and talented slots will go to Hispanic students. And when it comes to high school exams, you don't just have to go with the overall population in the entire school district, you could say, let's just look at the overall population of every student who tested proficient on state exams. And then make sure, by quota, they're representative. It's not a perfect solution, no, but the very fact that we have such a dire problem speaks very largely to the imperfections that abound. Stuyvesant High School, jewel of the city system, 895 slots for students, seven black students got in, seven. That's not still the massively underrepresentative 70, it's seven. So what of the argument that if you have quotas, that the, then black students who do qualify will be made to feel that they only got in because of quotas? Well, is that worse than allowing only seven black students to get into Stuyvesant? A lawsuit revealed that Harvard goes through all kinds of processes to ensure that the incoming class is 14.3% African-American. That's what their class is, roughly in line, well, very closely in line with the African-American population in that age group. Now, 
I've never heard of a black student at Harvard who at one point or another wasn't confronted with the accusation, oh, you only got in here because of race. And that's tough that they have to go through it. It's a cruel thing to say. It's ignorant. Uh, The people saying it don't know the truth of it. But let me ask you this. Is it worse than the alternative to have the school be widely underrepresented? Public universities went through this in California and Texas. They didn't allow race to be considered in admissions. And what you had there was in UCLA, 10,000 applicants being admitted and 200 of them were black. So maybe a quota is better than that situation. And yes, maybe if some other ignorant, cruel Harvard undergrad turns to their black peer and said, you only got in here because of race, A, it might not be true, or B, it might be a little true, but a lot better than them not getting in there at all. Let me talk about something I know well, the NFL. It's experiencing a deficit of coaches of color. Just four out of the 32 teams have head coaches who are black and Hispanic. One method over the years has been something called the Rooney Rule, which mandated that candidates of color be included as finalists. This is a quota, by the way. Now, you wouldn't force a team to give a job to a black or Hispanic head coach. You would just make sure that those candidates be put forward for consideration. This is totally analogous with the Oscars. You might not realize it because they make a big difference deal about who's a nominee, but being a nominee is just being a finalist for the award. So if it drives Hollywood crazy or enough of Hollywood crazy when they nominate a slate of actors without any actors of color, why don't you just mandate that they always include a person of color? Who knows if they had done that, J-Lo just might have won for Hustlers. Also, since it's a closed system with the Academy, you never have to reveal if the candidate was a beneficiary of the quota system. I mean, if they had done that with J-Lo, I'm sure everyone would say, well, obviously she deserved it. She wasn't a beneficiary of the system. Take directing. If you mandate that a female director of the five directors, one has to be female, I bet you there would be a lot more female directors getting jobs in Hollywood. If you knew that 20% of the Oscar nominees were going to be female, then executives would start giving out jobs hoping to be one of these nominees. And compare this to the current situation. The USC Annenberg School found that of the 1,300 top grossing films from 2007 to 2019, on average, 4.8% were directed by women. Quotas got a bad rap in the 80s and 90s when we as a country were less racially aware and less likely to flat out say people of color are underrepresentative. Diversity was not the priority then that it is now. And there was a lack of bluntness, which we definitely have now. But now we are willing to say there simply needs to be some black people or brown people or women people among this pool of people. Back then, we didn't say it. Want to hear how much the idea of quotas had been denigrated. Let me play this moment from one of the three presidential debates in the year 2000. Then Governor George W. Bush thought he was pretty clever when he said this. No, if affirmative action means quotas, I'm against it. Okay, so he's the conservative. Here was Al Gore's answer to that. I'm against quotas. They're illegal. They're against the American way. Against this backdrop, phrases like affirmative action took hold. They were soft, palatable ways to have a quota. Back then... If you had to rank the ills of society, like Al Gore was essentially doing, I think people would say, well, quotas are worse than a lack of diversity. But now a lack of diversity has come to be regarded as not just regrettable, but as evil, certainly more evil than quotas. So try a quota. How's not having a quota working out for you, Academy? 
How about you, New York City schools? You threaten to tear down otherwise useful institutions because they're not diverse enough, so mandate diversity. Would you rather have protest movements, angst, tension? Well, maybe you would if the price of that were progress. But the point is, there's been no progress. Quotas might be, at worst, a Band-Aid solution. But guess what you use when you're bleeding? You use Band-Aids. Or in the case of institutions that are failing not just our ideas, but it seems like our minimal requirements, they might want to try a quota. And that's it for today's show. Corey Wara produces The Gist. Joel Patterson is the senior producer of The Gist. Michelle Pesca is the phosphogypsum coordinator of Peachfish Productions. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Lipson's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. Oomperu, Jeeperu, Dupru, and thanks for listening.